This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. Welcome, everybody. We are learning tonight. Leilud Nishmat. Miriam Bat Bracha. We're going to learn that we're going to start tonight the hidden story of Ruth, a, a uh, story that I would like to say most people are not so familiar with, a story that has tremendous amount of lessons into it. It's actually a, tr- a story that you think that has a lot more depth than you actually uh, could imagine. And uh, the, the, we're going to try to get a few answers onto the, into, onto the whole route. Number one is why do we read it on Shavuot? Nobody ever, ever really wondered, like, what does it have to do with Shavuot? Shavuot, we got the Torah. What does that have to do with, with Ruth and now the, this, this Moabite convert? Um, number, number two, we're going to speak about, you know who, wrote, who, who actually wrote Ruth? It was not Ruth and it was not David. It was written by Shmuel Hanavi. And it was written years after, after, uh, after the whole story of Ruth happened. So why was it written? That's what we're also Bizarre Shem uh, speak about. Uh, anyways, we'll, we'll begin. Before we begin, we have to give a little bit of, uh, what happened beforehand to understand uh, a little bit about the story of Ruth. Ruth comes from a place called Moab. Moab, Moabite, Moab in English, is a nation that's not so liked by the Jewish people. And the reason for that is, is that, uh, Moab and Ammon come from, uh, come from Lot. Lot, so we have to backtrack all the way back to Abraham and Lot. Uh, Lot went and he lived in Sodom. A very, very immoral place. A very bad place. And what happened was, is that the entire place was destined to be destroyed. Except God was gonna spare Lot and his family. So they were able to get out. The people that were able to get out was Lot and his two daughters. His wife ended up passing, you know, were dying on the way because she looked when she wasn't supposed to. And Lot and his two daughters escaped. They escaped and ran to a cave. In their mind, they saw the entire world got destroyed. They didn't realize it was just their their, uh, their actual city and in, in, in area. So they decided out of their real true goodness is that they have to repopulate the world. But how are they going to repopulate the world if there's only them and their father? So they did something that's that's a, a very despicable act that, that is they, they got their father drunk and they conceived with their father. Each one had a baby that night. One was Ammon and one was Moab. The only reason why Lot, though, was saved and he was able to escape was only in merit to Abraham. Now, many years afterwards, the Jews were, when they left Egypt, they wanted to pass by the land of Moab, and they needed assistance. They needed some water, some food, and Moab said, no, we're not giving you anything. Not only that, they even went and they tried to curse the Jews. They hired, they hired Bilam to try to curse the Jews, so they went against us. Now, this is a serious, serious act of ungratefulness. And we know in Judaism, one of the most important things is being grateful. That's why you, one of the main things that we're doing is we're being grateful to God. You have to be grateful to your parents. There's many, many a mitzvot that, that involve around the, the fact of, of hakarat atov, of gratefulness. So they were not being grateful because if not for our ancestor, Avraham, then their ancestors, Lot, which is Ammon and Moab, would never come into existence because they were only saved only because of Abraham. So now we saved you, our ancestors, you, and now when we come to help, you're not going to help us? And they just, so, and they refuse to help us. And because of that, there is a law that you're not allowed to, ma- that, if, that the, you, nobody can convert from Moab. You can't marry. The actual law is you cannot marry into the nation of Moab. However, there was some confusion on this law. Does this law only refer to men who convert or also to women who convert? The actual halakha is only men who convert are not allowed to, we, we, you don't, you don't marry into marriage with them. Now why men are not women? Because the actual obligation to give bread and water when the Jews came into the desert in the time of, when they left Egypt was the obligation incumbent upon the men, not the women. The women are supposed to be modest, supposed to be home. So the only people who failed, who are ungrateful, were the men. Because of that, God is very, measure for measure. Because of that, fine. You're not getting into the Jewish nation. So Ruth, which is, she comes from Moab, but it was at this point in time, it was very questionable. Like, they weren't sure about the halakha. Is it that she is allowed to marry or is she not allowed to marry? That is one of the reasons that Shmuel Navi wrote the book of Ruth. To show the legitimacy, because who comes from Ruth? Who comes from Ruth? Was David, David Amelach. 
So Shmuel Anavi wrote the book of Ruth to, sh- to prove the legitimacy of David and his kingship. So the, uh, that is the background of Moab. The, now to understand a little bit about, um, about the time that they were living in. So we know when the Jews left Egypt, when the Jews left Egypt, who, who was leading them? Moshe Rabbeinu. After the Jews left Egypt, Moshe Rabbeinu was leading them. He ruled as sort of a uncrowned king. He ruled in a, as a very, uh, um, you know, he was never considered the king, but he was, he ruled as an uncrowned king. Yehoshua also ruled like an uncrowned king. Now, after Yehoshua, after, after he passed away, there was a period called the period of the judges. The judges are the ones that ruled the, uh, the Jewish nation. Now, they didn't rule the Jewish nation as, as a ruler rules. Rather, it was sort of like, everybody, do your own thing, and we trust you, you're going to do the right thing. And they were there for guidance, and there was no, it wasn't under a strict, uh, strict rule. And this period lasted for over 350 years. So it was a very, very big span of a period of the time of the judges. The problem with that is, is when you live and let live, it doesn't always work so well. Sometimes the Jews were a really high level, and that is really the best. Like, you don't don't need somebody to tell you what to do. You don't need someone to enforce the rules. They know what to do and you deal with it. But at other points in time, the Jews are in very low, uh, in low point. There were those corruptions, there's stealing, there's idol worship. And uh, during this time was when the story of Ruth took place. So the, um, the, 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 I'll tell you how bad it was. If the judges were also not honored. In fact, the, the, um, the way that Ruth starts is with the judges were judged. What does it mean the judges were judged? That every time the judges made a verdict and they, they wanted to judge somebody, the person that was judged, that were getting, that was getting judged was like, oh, are you so better than me? And in fact, the, the, the Medrash tells us, like, for example, if somebody would say, a judge would say, like, you know, how could you do that? You're selling silver, but you're, you mixed metal into the silver, so you're, you know, you're, you're sort of, you know, you know, um, fraud, you're, you're, it's fraud. So they answered back, says, oh, is it any better than you? Says, you take one and you dilute it with water. Says, so like the judges were not that good and the guy, and the people were not that good, then you can't expect, uh, uh too much, uh, good to be, uh, happening. Now these judges that were, that were more corrupt were usually the lower class judges. The high judges, that they, they were obviously, you know, it's talking about a time of prophecy. This is talking about a time right after, right after Yitzhak time. So the Jews were on a very high level, but at the same point in time, the Jews are also on a very low level. The mediocre judges were on that, uh, level. The high judges, everyone respected. So, the, um, the, the Jews were, at this point in time, when, when the things are not going well, you could obviously expect divine retribution. God is going to somehow come in and wake you up. The rule is like this. The rule is always like this. If you're not following the laws, it's only a matter of a certain time that God's going to send you a reminder to be like, hey, here's the laws. And this very simple and very obvious example is Germany, Holocaust. In, in Germany, we wanted to be German. And the Germans had to remind us, no, you're not German, you're Jewish. And they remind us, you know, unfortunately, in a very, very harsh manner. So, the, um, the, the reminder that God sent during that time was a reminder of famine. It was a time where the famine was, was extremely bad. And in fact, the famine was so bad that it says, that it's noted as this is one of the ten worst famines in history. And I'll, I'll list you the tens. The ten famines of the worst ones was during the time of Adam. You have Lamech, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, the judges, which is now, and David, Eliyahu, Elisha, and the last one is the time of Mashiach. Now, the time of Mashiach is not going to be a famine of food and hunger like the other ones, but rather it's going to be a famine for thirst of, of, of Torah. There's going to be a time where everybody's going to want to learn Torah. They're going to keep on drinking for more and more and more, and we... Granted, we could see that we're ready in that day. You have people coming back with zero access to Judaism beforehand, zero even interest in Judaism beforehand, and somehow they're interested. Pretty much to say this is how this organization sort of started. So you see it, and this, and, you know, and things are just moving it. So this is all right before the time of, of Mashiach. So 
the, um, the, during this time, there was a, uh, a very, very wealthy person. His name was Elimelech. And he was actually a very righteous person also. He comes from the land, uh, from the tribe of Yehuda. And that's why he lived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, uh, back then everybody lived wherever the Shvatim, in the separate sections where you live, that's where you are, um, that's where you live. So he lived in Bethlehem, which was the tribe of the, the section of the tribe of Yehuda. Now, he was the grand, the son, I'm sorry, of Nachshon ben Amidadav. Just to put a thing about it. If you guys don't remember, when we spoke about the story of Pesach, the Nachshon ben Amidadav was the first guy to jump into the sea before it split. So here is a little bit of a, a timeline, on, 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 not a timeline, it's sort of family tree. So you have Aminadav and Nachshon. Nachshon is the guy with the, with the crossing of the sea. And Nachshon had four, four sons. We know Naom, Na, uh, Elimelech was one of them, Solomon and Tov. And Naomi's father, which we don't know the name. The um, Elimelech, which is the guy that we're talking about over here, the guy who was, who was very wealthy, very distinguished, a righteous guy, he lived in the in Bethlehem. He married his niece, which was his, you know, his brother's daughter. He married, and that's that's Naomi. They had two kids, Machlon and Kilion. They they had uh, these are the two kids that are um, that that are in the story right now. So um, now. As he was actually a, a leader of the Jewish people at that time. And the famine came, and instead of being a leader and doing what he should have done, which the Torah says that he should have stayed over there, and he should have rebuked them, and he should have you know put them on the right path, realize what's the whole point. We know the Gemara says, If somebody sees that bad things are happening to him, he has to look inside and see what happened. Why is God doing this to me? There's a reason for it. There's a reason for everything that happens. So, uh, what Boaz, what I'm sorry, what Elimelech should have done is gave rebuke. But instead, he picked up his stuff and he booked. He booked Israel. And it says, the, the Midrashim say that the, there's an opinion that the famine was only in Israel. To show you how serious, like the, you know, sometimes you get a sign and you'd be like, I can't make it any more clear. But people are still, you know, like, you know, they don't, they don't get it. And they just keep on, you know, whatever. You know, like, right over their head. So, the, Boaz decided that he is not going to, um, I'm sorry, Elimelech. Elimelech decided he's not staying around over here. Now, why didn't he want to stay? He wanted to stay. One of the reasons the Midrashim break down is because he had a lot of money. And if it's a famine, people are going to come to him for money. And he's going to give because he's a righteous guy and he's going to lose a lot of money. So he decided he's going to leave Eretz Yisrael. And where he's going to go, which was the biggest kicker, he's going to go to Moab. A Moab, a, a, a you know, a nation that is despicable to us, a, you know, despicable in a, in a matter that they, they're, uh, of their actions. So, why did he want to go to Moab? He wanted to go to Moab to this land because this land was known to be very stingy. And he says, perfect, this matches exactly what I need. So he decides that he's going to go to, um, uh, to Moab. And, uh, he packs up all his stuff and he makes his way out. Now, when he makes his way out, you know, people see him packing his stuff. They realize this is not like a pleasure trip that he's leaving. You know, he's like literally packing out. And the entire nation, the Jewish nation, saw the leader living. You know, it, it really makes, uh, uh, you know, a, a effect in you. You know, when you have, uh, I'll give you an example like this. Someone's at war. You're at war with your, you know, in your group and you have a general. Imagine that you guys are fighting and all of a sudden the general is like, you know, is giving orders, giving orders. And then suddenly he sees something and he books. The general runs. You'd be like, the people are like, well, you know. What are we supposed to do now? You know, like, should we fight? Should we run? What are, you know, they're all, like, confused. So when you have a leader, like Ali Melech, all of a sudden, book, when things are going rough, it, it's, it's, it hurts the people, and it actually took a toll on them. He was there, even if he didn't want to give them the money, he could have at least, you know, given them emotional support, guide them to the right way. And in fact, the Midrashim says that one of the, the reasons that he's soon going to, we're soon see why he got punished, was because he didn't even pray for them. He should have prayed for them. We know, and this all brings down that, uh, you know, uh, by the time of the Mabul, Noach, it says it's called Me Noach, the waters of Noach. 
Now, why are you assigning the waters of Noah that title? It's a very, you know, like the world was destroyed, waters of Noah. You know, that's very derogatory. Why is it considered his waters? And the Zohar explains because he didn't pray for the nation. He should have prayed for the nation, and because he didn't pray for the nation, the nation was destroyed, and hence, he has a little part in that because he didn't, he didn't pray for them. So, so same thing also, Ali Malach didn't go and he didn't, uh, uh, pray for the, um, for the Jewish, uh, for the Jewish nation. He just, he just got up and left. Now, granted, when he went, and he went to the, to, to Moab, he didn't intend on staying there a long time. And in fact, if you look at the Megillah, I look at, I look at the Hut, you look at inside, it's the first words that when he, when he says that he went to Moab, it says, Vayiga. And he dwelled, sort of like, you know, a ger. Ger is like a, a convert, a sort of like, you know, a, a stranger. Ger is more like a stranger. So, Elimel, he, he didn't really intend to stay there. He was instrument to be a stranger, and then, you know, come back to Al-Tisrael. But if you, you keep up, you go a little bit further, you'll see that Vayagar went and turned into Vayihusham. And they were there, and they became settled there. And in fact, right when he moved in there, he didn't move into the main city. He didn't go uh, full of idol worship. He's like, no, he's a big tzaddik. He's not going to go there. He went first into the fields, into the suburbs, into the area where it's not so heavily populated in the, in, in the main centers. But after a while, you know, to get into, you know, once you get a bad character trait, once you get stingy, it's hard to get out of it. This is a very important rule to, to learn that once, if, if there's a, there's certain people that are more inclined to go into either laziness or, you know, immorality, whatever it is, the more that you go into it, the, the bigger, the more that you dig yourself into it and the harder it is to get out. So he was there, Intended only to be three months, but then he got so sucked in that he that he ended up staying in there. And um, so while he was there, the um, the the the, the, Midrashim, the actually the, the, the Megillah says that um, God started sending him signs, sending him signs. This is not a place for you. You got a book. And one of the signs was is that the you know his animal started dying. He was very wealthy and he started losing a lot of his a lot of his wealth. And unfortunately, he didn't pick up on this, uh, you know, on these signs. And, you know, even though by, the Mithashim say that even though while he was there, he was still religious. It's not like he threw away Judaism. He was still very religious. You know, learning to walk, very, very religious. But, um, you know, God sent him some signs, didn't pick it up. And after a short period of time, you know, he passed away. That actually is a very interesting Midrash that says that, you know how he passed away? He passed away from hunger. Somehow, there was some sort of famine that he started passed away from hunger. So you think about it, he ran away from hunger. He ended up passing away uh, because of hunger. So, the, um, the, uh, uh, after, after that he passed, after he passed away, so his wife, Naomi, decided, listen, what do we have to do in this foreign land? This is not our land. Our land is Israel. Let's go back to Israel. But her children sort of, got comfortable in the area. You have to th- you have to think about it this way. They are coming from royalty. You're coming Israel royalty is coming into, you know, Moab area. So they made a big splash when they got over there. And in fact, they were offered or they were going to be offered high position in the government. They were offered very prestigious areas and they were like, "Listen, why should we leave?" They tell their mother. It says it's good for us over here. It's it's very nice for us over here. So the um the the children tried started to convince their mother, you know, that we really want to stay. Naomi really wanted, uh, really wanted to leave. And, cause she went through so much. Imagine, she went, she left Israel, she got into this foreign land, and her husband, her beloved husband died. To make matters even worse, the, she was actually pregnant when her husband, uh, passed away. And because of all the, the, you know, the things, she also lost her baby. She had a miscarriage. So with all that, she just wanted to get up and go back home. But the guy, the boy said, no. Machon and Kilian, they wanted to stay over here. Not only that, and they threw her another, you know, wild blow. They said, listen, you know, we hear that the daughters of the king of Moab, they, you know, they have sort of a uh, um, interest towards us for marriage. 
So the you know the the mother says, "Are you serious? You're actu- actually contemplating marrying this Moab, this non-Jewish? Uh, uh, you know, she could like what, what does that even mean?" Says your father would never agree to such a shidduch. So they said, "Listen, mother, you know you got to be with the times. You know it's more modern now. We got we're going to take care of you. Don't worry about it." And back and forth, back and forth. The mother, the Nomi tried to get them back. The, the guys, the boy says, we're staying over here. So we didn't have anything, you know, couldn't say anything else. She said, listen, if my kids are going to stay here, what am I going to go back for? There's a famine in the land over here. So she was forced to stay also in the land of, of Moab. A short while after that, uh, Kilion, which was the younger brother, actually went and married Opa, which is one of the daughters of the, of the king. So she was a princess of the king of Moab. And Opa was uh, one of the reasons why already you shouldn't have married her is because she was known as a witch. Not a witch as like an evil... Right now people call... You know, I'm talking about like a sorcerer. She actually practiced magic. So... Uh, but, you know, Kilian was a very... Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? He was a very ambitious man. And he saw her as a way to, comp- to get a lot of... Uh, you know, far in life and financially and power-wise. So he decided he's going to go and marry her. The older brother, Mahlon, after that, he marries the other sister, which was Ruth. Ruth was the, the, the princess of Moab. And she's actually, you know, the, you know, the star of, the sh- of, the, of this uh, show. So, the question now is asked, and it's very interesting because you think about it. So, did they convert? Did they marry non-Jews? What's going on over here? So, there's, there's the Midrashim. There's very interesting stuff in this in the Midrashim. The general opinion is, and the majority of the Midrashim say, that they didn't convert. They actually married non-Jews. They actually went and married a non-Jew. Not only did they married a non-Jew, they married a non-Jew from Moab. There is an opinion, and the Tsar brings us down, that they did convert, but the conversion wasn't a, a true conversion. They did it out of fear, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a real conversion. So regardless, it still was not a good conversion. I'll give you an example. You convert from, um, to reform a conservative. That's what it means. A big fat zero. Right? You could take that paper and you could, uh, use it for something more than, uh, than other things. Um, the, the truth is, it might be able to actually help you a little bit in Israel, but in the, all halachic, from the halachic sense, it means nothing. I'll give you just a good example. You the guy who's gonna convert you is what? You know, it could be a gay guy, a gay rabbi, you know, gay, gay rabbi Ellen, right? He's going over there from the Reform Temple, you know, uh, Beth Kel, you know, synagogue of, you know, uh, Coney Island. And they're gonna go over here and they're gonna convert you. Part of things of conversion is like, yo, you have to accept all the, the 613 mitzvot. The guy who's converting you doesn't, 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 uh, you know, accept the 630 mitzvot. It's gonna make somebody else accept the 630 mitzvot. So, granted, the conversion, um, you know, uh, of, of Ruth and Opa, if there even was a conversion, wasn't, wasn't a good conversion. And furthermore, there's another mitzvah says that they didn't have a betin over there. In order to convert, you need a betin. You need a, you know, a betin of three people to go and, and convert you. They didn't have anything. In fact, that there's a mitzvah, the mitzvah that says that the only people, the whole Israel was in a famine. You know how many people left? Just Boaz and Naomi and their two kids. Everybody else stayed in the outside. They're the only ones left. So granted, so now you have, there's no Jews, only them, they're, they're over there, there's no betting. So the opinion that we're going for and uh, moving forward is that they actually didn't convert at this point in time. So they went, they married these, these non-Jewish Moabite women. Ten years, ten years God had mercy on them. One of the reasons that God waited extra longer over here because it wasn't their opinion and decision to move to Moab. They sort of went with their father. Their father went over there, so it went on. But, so because it wasn't their decision, God gave them more time. Ten years, ten years he waited for them. And he sent them the same signs. In fact, one extra sign he sent them is that they didn't have any kids. They didn't have any kids, so ready to try to, you know, wake you up. But that didn't work, so they started also, all the animals started dying, and the same plague, and, the, you know, things happened. And eventually, eventually, I'll tell you a little bit, actually, uh, uh, very quickly about their names. Machlon, Mach, uh, Machlon. His name was not always Machlon. He was before then. He was known as Yoash. 
Yoash is a little bit Hebrew, you have to know. It comes from the word Yeush, which is to uh, give up, the desperation. He sort of gave up on the, on the Geulah. He gave up on the fact that the, the hunger, the, the famine is going to go up. He went and he became Machlon. Machlon from the word of Chilul. He was, he desecrated. What did he desecrate? He desecrated by leaving Eretz Yisrael and marrying a Moabite woman. The uh, Kilion, which is the younger brother, he was known as Saraf. As he sort of, he Saraf, he burnt, which is in Hebrew, Saraf is Lisrof, is the burn, he burnt the laws of Torah. He became Kilion, which is another, uh, you know, very close to Kaleh, which is to, um, to eradicate, erase from memory. And we see they, they both went and they eradicated, they were erased from memory. It's interesting because Kilion was completely eradicated from memory, but Machlon, he wasn't because his wife, which was Ruth, ended up marrying and, and, you know, after a Jew, and sort of, we'll speak about it afterwards, how they sort of continued his name. But in any case, um, they, the God, they didn't wake up, they didn't get the lessons, and God sent them lesson after lesson after lesson, didn't happen, and they both, uh, died also, in the same, similar type of plague, and they both, to make this matter is even worse, they both died on the same day. Imagine what now Naomi, her, their mother, their righteous mother had to go through. So, the, um, Naomi went, and she mourned over her two sons. She literally lost everything. She came into this land, a rich, prestige, honor, woman with, you know, a family, and Sadiq as a husband, you know, two, two potential big Sadiqim as children, you know, really, they had unlimited potential. And at this point, after 10 years of being there, she lost everything. Money, wealth, all gone. Children, husband, children, everything gone. Prestige, gone. Honor, gone. She came, she came full and she left empty. And so she decided after the, after the Shiva, after the seven days of mourning, that her two sons died, she decided, listen, what am I going to stay over here? So I'm going to stay in Moab. What is this? This place just, you know, was a curse after a curse after a curse. I don't need to be over here. And she decided that it's time for her to return to El Tisrael. So now what she was thinking about it, she's like, what am I going to go to El Tisrael? She says, I left the entire nation when I had the ability to, now it's a famine over there. She, at this point, you know, they didn't have, you know, like, you know, New York Times to be like, oh yeah, you know, El Tisrael, the famine's over, you know, come back in. It wasn't like, you know, from all she knew that the famine was still in existence. It was famine was still continuing. So she didn't have any money. So she's now going to have to go back to Israel as a poor destitute woman and go and start collecting from people that she refused and she left to give them. She's like, how am I, so how should I do that? So while she was contemplating this, she noticed that there were peddlers. Peddlers were like, you know, uh, merchants. They were coming from town to town and they were selling, you know, diamonds, jewelry. And she looks at them and she realizes these these merchants, they are not from, you know, Moab. These are not Moabite people. And she looks a little bit closer and she realizes they're Jews. They're Jews in Moab. They're, they're. So she goes over to them and, she, and she's like, she's like, you guys from Mount Side, you guys Jewish? They're like, yeah. So she said, please tell me, is there is there a famine, you know, anymore? They're like, no, Baruch Hashem, God already remembered us and he took care, care uh, rid of the famine. There's food there, Baruch Hashem, everything is okay. So she... First of all, is extremely happy. She says, okay, now, now for sure I should go back. And she's like, okay, great, thank you very much. And as she's walking away, she's thinking, she's like, wait a minute. She's like, how could I, you know, I left when there was a famine. And now all, all of a sudden, when God remembers them, I'm going to sort of come back. You know, it's like, you know, you jump off by the winning teams. You'd be like, I'm a, you know, I'm this fan. And then when this team wins, I'm on this fan. And then you go, just keep it. She's like, come on, that's not right. How am I supposed to, you know, that, you know, they did Chuba. And that's why God remembered them. And that's why God went and God, uh, you know, took care and took rid of, got rid of the, of the famine. So, so while she was thinking of this, so then she started realizing, she says, wait a minute. She says, why is there peddlers in Moab? Moab is, is a nearby El Tisrael, right? It's a, you know, it's about 42 miles from where she lived to where Moab. Why are there peddlers? If God really took rid of the, you know, got rid of the famine completely, then God could have sustained the entire Jewish nation from within. Why do we have to go and branch out and outsource and go out to do business outside? They could have done everything within. Must be, said Naomi, that the reason that the Jews were saved and the famine was ended was not only because of the, the merit of the Jewish 
Jewish people. Because if it would have been only solely because of the merit of the Jewish people, God would have taken care of everything. And everybody would have stayed there. Granted, it must be in a combination, a combination of besi- besides the tshuva, it must have been also the chesed, the mercy that God had on the Jewish people. They decided, listen, I'm going to bring you, you know, even though you don't fully deserve it, this is not going to end the famine, but you still now have to go and do business outside because that, that shows that I don't, you know, you, know, you didn't fully do it. So now she's thinking, she says, okay, I didn't feel comfortable to go there when it was, you know, I'm sort of banking off the other people's tshuva. But now that it's all because of God's mercy, then I could also uh, take from God's mercy. So she decided, she made up her mind, she's going to Al-Tisrael. Now she had one problem. She had two daughter-in-laws. You know, ex-daughter-in-laws, whatever you want to call them, but they're still daughter-in-laws and they lived with her. And they were not going to, they're not going to want to go to Al-Tisrael. They're, they're princess from this, from, from Moab. Why would they want to do an Al-Tisrael? So, so she has to try to figure out a way. How am I going to get to Al-Tisrael? You know, how is this going to work out? So she's thinking about all possible ways and she's like, listen, if I tell them, they're going to convince me to stay. If I, you know, try to, it's not going to work. The only way is to sneak out. You know, go in the middle of the night while no one's looking and try to sneak out of, uh, of Moab. So, she makes up her mind and that's how she's going to continue with the plan. So, Hut, Opa, they're all, you know, they all still live in the same house and, or the same area. And early in the middle of the, uh, in the before, in the before the morning started, started happening, Naomi woke up. She didn't have much to pack, thank you. She didn't have much to, you know, to pack. And she, she sneaks out of the house and, and starts walking. It says how poor Naomi was is that she didn't even have shoes. She only had an old pair of ripped socks, and that's how she had to, and well, you know, it's, it's now she has to travel as a walk. Thank you very much. She had to walk back to El Tisrael. So, she wait, thank you. She wakes up early in the morning, and she, uh, she makes her way out. Somehow, maybe she made a little bit too much noise, but Opa woke up. She woke up. And, um, she wakes up, and she sees Naomi from the window, you know, like walking off in the distance. So she, you know, she wakes up Hoot next to her, and she'd be like, you know, check it out, is that, is that our mother-in-law? What is she doing, you know, waking up so early in the morning? So Hoot looks, and she's like, yeah, that is, that is our, you know, that is Naomi, I wonder what she's doing. So Alpa said, listen, maybe she, you know, she wants to get some fresh air, let's let, let you know, let her walk. So Hoot says, no, it's not nice, she's, you know, she's an elder woman, she's, you know, we're her daughter-in-laws, let's walk together with her. So, you know, they were going back and forth. Oh, Pa said, listen, you know, just wants her peace and quiet. And Hoot said, listen, I'm going with her. So, you want to come? You come. If not, you could stay over here. She's like, oh, fine. You know, I'll come. Yeah. So, Pa and Hoot, they get up and they, and they run after Naomi. And they're a few paces behind Naomi. Suddenly, you know, they, they start yelling, you know, good morning. And Naomi, like, jumped. Cause she, you know, you know, like, you know, you sneak out of house. You think, like, you're the mastermind. You're like, nobody. You know, like, when people try to, you know, pretend to be somebody who you're not and that, and everyone thinks, I'll give you an example. You have, you know, somebody who goes to the theater, right? So he wears a baseball cap. He puts his pies over here. You know, he puts, a, you know, hides, hides everything and be like, come on. Everybody knows you're Jewish. Take off your kippah. Take off your tzitzit. You go from a mile away. I guarantee you an Arab could tell you you're a Jew. Uh, Christian goes and tell you, 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 you know, who are you fooling? So, you know, Naomi tried to sneak out. I guess she, you know, didn't, couldn't, couldn't get out quiet enough. And she went and, and all of a sudden she jumps out and she sees, you know, her two daughter-in-laws are over there. So they were like, hey, mother-in-law, what's, uh, what's going on? Where, where are you off to? And she, you know, caught off guard. She's like, oh, you know, I'm just, just taking a stroll. So they were like, cool, uh, we'll join you. And Naomi's like, all right, sounds good. And they're all three of them and now walking together towards the outskirts of town. So, no, um, as they're, as they're, as they're walking, they, um, they get to, they walk actually for quite a while. And then they get to a fork. One of the, one of the things leads back into town, and the other, the other, uh, they could either, so they could, it's like three ways, right? They have one way that could go back to town the other way, or they could have a way that goes to the, I guess, if you want to call it the main highway, or whatever it was, between the cities. So, 
they um, they stop over there, and uh, Naomi says to them, he says, listen, um, you guys can head back now. I'm just going to, you know, I appreciate the walk, you know, uh, the company, but, uh, you know, I'm going to go a little bit further. And they said, uh, Opa says, no, it's okay. Well, we'll, we'll come with you. It's all cool. And um, she's like, she's like, no, 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 I insist. You guys could, could go back. It's, it's fine. And they said, no, no, we insist. We, you know, we'll come along. So Naomi says, all right. And, but she takes the way out of town into that. So suddenly, Opa stops, you know, stops her and be like, says, why are you going this way? This way is out of town. And she says, she's like, yeah, I'm going to walk a little bit further this way. So they stop her. They realize something's going on. She's like, you want, you want to explain to us what's going on? Can you, you know, what, what's going on over here? So Naomi, you know, turns around to them and says, listen, um, you know, I didn't want to have to tell you this, but I'm leaving. So there's like, where are you going? She's like, I'm going back home. I'm going to Altisat. So, you know, Ruth says, you know, why don't you tell us? You know, you know, you didn't want to, what, you know, were your daughter-in-laws? So Naomi says, listen, I don't want to upset you. Know, you know how it's going to work. You know, you guys would have convinced me to stay and, and I, you know, I really feel like I, I want to go. So Opa says, listen, says, what's the rush? Let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Maybe we can work something out. You know, why do you have to leave? And Naomi says, listen, I've been thinking about this for the past 10 years. I'm out of here. I'm going. So, and, and she explains to him, listen, says this land, while it's your land, and you girls have been great. You, and they literally were. They, uh, they were promised a very, very big dowry. And now that their husbands died, Naomi was destitute, they, they forgive it, they forgave everything. So they, and like, you, you took care of my husband's, uh, my children's burial, and my husband, you, you literally were, you know, were amazing. But, um, there's nothing for me in here more. And, uh, you know, I want to, uh, I want to go back home. So, Opa says, listen, let's go, we'll move. You need a change of scenery, I get it. We'll go to the country. We'll go a different place. Well, it's like, why do you have to go back to Al-Sasad? And Naomi smiled, shook her head. She said, no, I made up my mind. This is where I'm going to go. So, um, so Ruth goes and she's like, she's like, you know what? I fully support our mother-in-law. I think she's doing great. She's, and she's like, she's like, let's go. And Opa's like, what, 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 what do you mean? Let's go. So she's like, she's like, you know, I'm going to go with my mother-in-law. I'm going with, uh, with Naomi to, uh, um, And Naomi is listening to this. Like, oh my God, you know, what does this do now? And, um, so she's going. And Opa is like thinking about it. She says, listen, she says, you know, I'm a Moabite princess. Well, am I going to go now to, to Israel? What, what is that going to happen? So she's, she's contemplating back and forth. So Ruth's like, listen, you're coming with us or you're going? And she's like, you know, fine, I'll come. So just do me a favor. I just, Opa tells her, tells Ruth, let me go back, grab a few things. Ruth, this is Ruth, this is the conversation I had between them. Ruth says, no, 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 don't worry, you know, forget about the things. You're going to go back home, you're going to forget it. You're coming, we're leaving right now. We're not going back for nothing. So Opa is going back and forth, back and forth. He finds, this is finally fine. You know what? I'm coming along with you. They both come to her and be like, all right, we're coming to you to Israel. And now, um, now Naomi is, you know, she's like, oh my God, when she, she tries to convince them. She tries to convince them not to come to Israel. And she tells, you know, if you come to Israel, you're going to have to convert. You have to, uh, you know, under conversion. Conversion is not a simple thing. So, so they go up and they says, you know, they didn't answer. They they kept on they kept on following her. So they they walked the, they walked even further. So they're walking. They're already a few miles out from their from their hometown. And Nomi turns around and she tries one more time. She's like, all right, guys, you know, I appreciate the gesture. You guys came all the way over here. Now it's time for you guys to go home. And Opa is actually she's like she's like what do you think? She says you think we just did this as a nice gesture? We're accompanying you? No, like we meant it all seriousness. We're coming with you. We're coming with you to Israel. So she says uh, she goes over and says 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 why? Why why do you got to come? What do you think is is waiting for you over there? She's like she's like I'm a poor destitute woman. What do I have going on for me? You know I'm old. There's nothing that I can possibly do for you. You know what waits for you in Altisad? You're gonna have humili- humiliation. You have to go into conversion. You have to change your this. And you have to change that. It's very very difficult. And um, and and then she says, and she says, um, and she says above that, 
the, um, the what, what's waiting for you there, besides the fact that being so hard and, and a difficult life, it's going to hurt me the most, she tells her daughters. She says, because I'm going to see you suffering so much only because of me. She says, rather, what will make me even happier, go home, find yourself some nice, you know, Moabite prince, you know, get married, settle down, have some kids. What you're going to come over there, it's, it's not going to be. And this is what really she should have done because when, you know, if somebody's coming in, it, this is a general rule. If a convert wants to convert, we push them away. We push them away three times until they have to keep on uh, forcing them. So she kept on pushing, uh, pushing them away. And, um, and like, like uh, the way that she should have. So Naomi, uh, goes on and she says, furthermore, she says, listen, you're gonna come, you're gonna come over to me. She says, she says, what are you gonna do? You're gonna want, there, there was a rule, the, like you could do yibum. Yibum is if, let's say you have a, uh, brother, and, uh, this brother goes and marries a, uh, a girl. And he, the brother dies before they have any children. There's a law, there's a lacha yibum that the single brother goes, or even married back then, goes and marries the, the sister-in-law. Because they didn't have any children, and they have through that, uh, you know, you know, conception, the brother's memory is continues. So she says, "Listen," she says, "I have no more children, and I'm old." She says, "What do you think? I'm going to go back and get married?" And she says, "Let's say I go and I get married. Let's say I'm able to find somebody. Then who says if I get pregnant? And let's say I get pregnant. Who says it's going to be a boy or a girl? Let's say that a 50 percent chance it's going to be a boy. Then you're going to wait another 13 years or whatever it is until he gets older. And after all that, he could say, I don't want to.'" I don't want to marry you. I want to find you know you're going to be older by then. So this is after all that you're going to go for what for what? So she was basically convincing them there's nothing for you in Israel. There's nothing for you in Israel. So Olpa decided, and she's like you know, and they each started you know tears coming down their their face. Olpa and Ruto each had a little bit of a different uh, reason why they were emotionally hurt and why they were crying. Olpa, she had an emotional attachment to Naomi, to her mother-in-law, and she would miss that. You know, she was you know very fond of each other, and, and she missed that. Ruth had an, besides that. She had an additional reason, is that she was actually drawn to Judaism. She was drawn to Al-Tisrael. She was drawn to the Torah. She was drawn to Hashem. And she wanted that. And she was like, well, you know, why is she pushing us away? It's like, I really want this. I really want to get married. I want, I'm sorry, I really want to convert. So, the, um, and, and you can look how two girls raised in the same home acted completely differently. Opa gets the hint and she says, you know what? I understand you. She says, uh, you know, she was thinking about it logically. Her perspectives in, in, uh, you know, in Israel is, is, you know, tiny, if anything, that's, that's on, on a ray of sunshine, even if you can go over there. It wasn't good. Back in Moab, she's a princess, she's be able to, you know, continue, continue uh, living up. So, she goes, she goes to Naomi, she gives her a kiss, and she says, you know, I'm out of here. Uh, you know, I got the hint, I'm going back. And she went and she started walking back. Ruth, was, um, well, you know, before we get to Ruth, let me tell you a little bit of what happened to Opa. Opa, when she left Naomi, uh, she uh, went on a really, really downward spiral. And in fact, the Gemara in Sotah, page 42, says that that day that she left Ruth, that she left Naomi, she went uh, to a very, very promiscuous uh, path. And she was with, you know, a hundred men and even one dog. And from that union and that night actually came Goliath. Goliath was a, was a, was a later known as a giant. That he went and he fought, you know, David Amelech, which was from Ruth comes David, from Opa comes Goliath, and they they uh, both uh, fought each other. So Naomi, I mean, I'm sorry, Opa left. She went on a downward spiral and she went back to Moab, back to her uh, previous life. Now, now uh, Ruth's turn. So. She goes over to, um, she goes over, uh, Naomi goes over to Ruth and says, listen, says, what do you got over here? Go follow your sister. Go catch up to her and you'll still have something back over there. And, you know, she was crying. And by the way, I forgot to mention this. Opa, she had four tears that went down. Because of those four tears, 
she was uh, um, she was given four descendants that were very powerful, and Goliath was one of those uh, one of those descendants. So. The Ruth, instead of going and following her sister, she started crying, and she went and she hugged Naomi. She grabbed her and she wouldn't let her go. And she, so Naomi says, you know, listen, you know, I appreciate everything that you've done. Really, you guys were amazing. You guys were great. I have nothing but good things to say about you. But go back home. Go back home to your to your sister, to your family. And you know, Ruth was like, she's like, you know, her soul was so pure. She was like, she's like, why are you doing this to me? She's like, you know, your words are so painful to me. And she says, you know. I, I, I'm not coming for you. I'm coming also for the Torah. Please, so you know, please don't stop pushing me away. Uh, and she's literally pleading with her that uh, you know. And she goes, "Who tells her?" So, so listen, I know that you have to push a convert away. Says, but don't you see I'm sincere? You went way above what you were supposed to do. Says, can't you see that I just want this so badly? Says, where? Yeah, and she goes and who tells her and tells her like this and says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you sleep, I will sleep. I will never leave your side day and night. This is what she tells Naomi. And then she goes on, she says, you know, you speak about your God, your people. She says, it's not only your God and your people, it's my God and my people now. And says, and she goes on, she says, Moab, Moab, the Moabim, the Moabites, no longer my people. And she goes and she says, Ruth continues and she says, and if you reject me and you push me away, it says, it's not going to stop me, I'm still going to El Tisla. I'm going to still... Let me just come with you together. So I love you so much, you're my mother-in-law. It says, why make me go separate? Let me come, let me come together with you. So... She goes and, and, uh, um, you know, Naomi tells her and she says, listen, she says, you know, what's waiting for you over there? She says, I appreciate your sincerity, but you know, you have to be really serious about this. You know what's waiting for you there? Not, not, not good stuff. And, uh, she says, and then she goes and says, what happens if I get, Naomi says, if I go into, into land of El Tisrael? Shortly afterwards, you know, she passes away. What are you gonna do? She says, you know, you're not gonna have me. So this, to this, um, Ruth answers, says, I want to be with you together in this world and together in the next world. And she kept on pushing. No matter what Naomi threw at her, she kept on fighting. So, um, she goes and Naomi sees that, you know, she's really sincere. She says, you know, you know, converting to Judaism is a serious thing. She says, you know, halachot of Shabbat. And she started explaining her about Tchum Shabbat. You know, you can't walk 2,000 amot. And she says, that's fine. She ran to reply back, wherever you go, I go. I'll follow you wherever you go. And then she says, you know, modesty. Modesty for a woman is very, very important. She says, you know, you're going to have to do it's not, it's not easy at times. And she says, what easy, hard, no matter what it is, all 613 mitzvot, I accept upon myself. And uh, she goes, and Naomi tries even more. And she goes and she tells her like this, and she says, you know, many people want to join the Jewish nation because there's a lot of perks. You know, you know God's children, you know, you get a lot of perks from God. This is becoming a favorite. You know, this is the way to become a favorite of God. So it says, you know, what happens if you think you're coming in here? You're going to get a lot of special treatment in this world. You know, what happens if it doesn't happen? All your word, reward is only for the next world. And by the way, this is unfortunately how some Baal Tshuva also go and get into Judaism, get, get become more religious. They'll be like, you know, listen, they have a hard time. They don't have a panasa. They don't have a you know, wife. They're not happy with their marriage. They're not happy with life. They're like, all right, listen, I tried everything else. Let's try God. You know, only thinking, the only reason why they're becoming religious, the only why, reason why they're keeping Shabbat, the only reason why they're stopping to, uh, you know, to waste seed is only because they think of the blessing, they think of the panasa, they think of the good thing that happens. So it's not always do you see that. Hopefully you, you should see that. But what happens if it's going to be to the next world? Are you willing to do that? You, are you that invested that it's, if you're only good that you're going to come is going to see in the next world, are you willing to go in there? And Ruth replied, yes. She says, even she goes, says, this world, what do you live? You live a little bit over here. You know, how long already I live here? But the next world is forever. She says, I accept everything. And so uh, Naomi sees that Ruth is really serious in it. So she says, fine. You know, one of the rules is, is that once you see a convert is very serious about converting, you can already stop, uh, you know, pushing them away. So she goes on, she says, listen, you know, being a Jew, you have to be a Jew inside and outside. You know, like the Germans, the Germans, the reform, the reform movement came about. How did the Germans, uh, how did they, they sell that? They said, listen, 
Outside, you're German. Inside, in your house, you're Jewish. Later, what we see how it really happened is that there were German inside and outside. They ended up, you know, not really being any, uh, much Judaism. So he, uh, she goes to Ruth and says, listen, your inside and outside has to be the same. Being Jewish, being religious is not just a facade. It's not just pretending to be like that. It's not just coming to synagogue three times a day, having a kippah, or wearing a skirt, whatever it is that you're doing, or wearing your tzitzit, and going through the motions. It means that you, it, what, what really is, is, is dwelling inside of you. And, and to, what she replied is, is where you sleep, I will sleep. Which means it's just like sleeping is something internally. It's something inside. You do inside. She says inside, outside, doesn't matter. I'm going to be exactly like you. And she went and she, uh, and, you know, and, and no matter what she threw at her, she went. So Naomi said, realized, she, get, she says, fine. She gave up on trying to convince her out and they started walking. Now there's something very interesting. The Pasuk says when they were walking, it says that, um, the, the Pasuk in, in Ruth, it says, um, it says, Vatira ki misametses The word misametses means that it was very struggling to keep up, which means she saw that Ruth was struggling to keep up. There's two interpretations of this. The, um, the Vilna Gon explains like this. It explains a, a, a very fascinating. There are, um, there is an evil inclination and there is a good inclination. Now, sometimes the evil inclination is so good. Oh, so good that he's going to make you think you're doing a mitzvah, but really it's an evil inclination. It's really it's a sin, and you can see that there are many people. Uh, yeah, easiest example like this: there are two people that are dating, but what happens when they're dating? They, you know, they don't keep the full. You know, you're not supposed to touch. You're not supposed to do that, and they're doing sins, but they're saying, "Listen, I have to do this because this is the way that's keeping us close, and we're going to go into marriage, and we're going to go this." And she's making keep me keep Shabbat, and he's making me beat sniut. So they make all their sins. They convince it that it's turning into a really it's a mitzvah. So, the, the evil inclination is very good in, in making that. Now, how do you know, says the Vilna Gon, if it's the, if you're doing something a mitzvah, but it's, if it's coming from the evil inclination or the good inclination? Says the Vilna Gon, is it depends on your physical body. The body itself is, is, tries to, you know, it's very hard for it to do mitzvah. You know, you want to wake up for shakhit in the morning, it's hard. You're sitting in a class on a Tuesday night, it's late, really, you want to go to sleep, you want to eat dinner, whatever it is that you have to, it's hard, it's hard to stay over here. So, if the, if it's hard and it's a struggle, then you know it's real. Then you know it comes from the evil connection, because otherwise the Yetzirah will make it easy for you. Be like, ah, oh, come on, now you know, it's good, don't worry about it. So, that's how you know. So, Naomi, when she saw that Ruth was struggling, she re- and she kept on coming, she realized that this is not coming from a superficial area, that she just wants to be close to Naomi, she just wants the goodness. She realized that it's coming from a true essence of it, that she's keep on pushing it. And that's why she decided also that, uh, that, that you know, she's gonna, uh, you know, not uh, push her away. The other interpretation of it, which is really in the same, similar lines, is that the, what Misametsas means that she was struggling. Not that Ruth was struggling, but rather Naomi was struggling to keep up with Ruth. Ruth was like, you know, there's some people, you know, when they become religious or they become a, a convert, they are on fire. You got these people are like plowing through the, you know, you have somebody who's becoming a Baal for about 11 years. He gained about 6% in the past 11 years. Then you have somebody else who was about to for like 6 months, and he went like 7,000%. And he learned more in 6 months than the other guy learned in 11 years. You know, there are certain people with a fire. Ruth had such a fire, she was shooting straight forward. And Naomi was like, oh, you, know, well, you know, hold up, I gotta, you know, I got to, you know, catch up for you. And in essence, we could really say that they're really not opposite, but really the same things, because they're a little bit of a over here. Because what happens is, when you have a struggle, and when it's hard for you, and you push forward, you gain so much more. And Ruth, even though she was struggling in the beginning, but she kept on pushing forward, that instead of her struggling, now Naomi was struggling, because she used that force to go into the, um, into the good. So, there are, they go and they travel. They travel the tremendous distance in a very short period of time. They travel the, the distance from Moab to Bethlehem, which is a period roughly about 42 miles. They did it in one day. And without, you know, without shoes also. At least Naomi. Now, 
traveling back then is a very um, very dangerous. You know, you can't just you know jump on the nearest train, the airplane, the coach bus, and take it to the next town. It was walking, and you're walking two men walking at it by yourself. In those times, it's just you know it's spelling disaster. You know, like all the men that are out on the roads at that point in time are not Mr. Tzadikim that are you know be like oh you know live first. You know, they are actually interested in other things. So they decided what they're going to do is because of the danger is they're, they're going to go and pretend to be men. They're going to, you know, walk as men walk, pretend, you know, I guess hide their hair, whatever it was, they were going to go pretend to be men. So this way, you know, at least people, you know, won't, uh, they won't catch uh, too much attention. So miraculously, which, or, you know, not, you know everything was, was uh, by divine providence, they happened to see two beggars, two men's beggars clothes lying down in the thing. So they go, they put it up and they go and they start walking towards town. And Baruch Hashem, they weren't, you know, they went. To, it was uninventful, which was good. Nobody touched them, as opposed to one of the reasons that Opa decided that she's not going to go to Israel. She says, "Listen, I'm going to go travel another forty miles in this in this dangerous part. It's very dangerous." And she decided that she's going to go and take the safe route, go back to Moab. There's an interpretation that says that you know Opa, not that she went and she did all this promiscuity willingly, but rather she went back and she got caught up with you know, with people that sort of raped her and, you know, they, they took her by force. And that, so you look at how it is. When, you, when you're doing a mitzvah, you don't get hurt. When you think, okay, I'm going to save myself from doing a mitzvah, I'm going to go back, you see that, you know, they were saved, Ruth and, and uh, Naomi were saved, but yet Opa, when she went back, she was unfortunately uh, not saved. So they get over there, they get, they, they finally, they reach El Tzitzchah, they reach Bethlehem. And they see something that's very, very odd. The entire place is jam-packed with people. It's like full to the brim with, with you know, and, and they're wondering, like, what's going on up here? Why is everybody over here? And um, when, they, when they come closer, they realize that it's, um, that Boaz, which was, now we have to explain who Boaz is. The next, the next big uh, uh, character in the scene is Boaz. <clears throat> so Boaz was also a very wealthy person, a leader, a very righteous person. We're going to speak a little bit about him. He was um, the... The um, the cousin of Naomi, or really the aunt of of you know. The, l- let me explain it this way. So Nachshon had four kids. One of them was Salmon. Salmon's kid was Boaz. So Elimelech and Boaz, they were um, like nephew, uh, nephew and uncle. They were nephew and uncle. But to Naomi, they were cousins because Naomi was you, you know this way. You follow me? So this was a close family from the tribe of Yehuda, and he uh, his wife just passed away. So being that he was a leader, uh, leader both in the spiritual sense and the physical sense, he was also very wealthy. So the entire nation came to the funeral, the funeral of, and which shows you how the Chafetz Chaim explains this, how, how everything is measure for measure. Because when, when Naomi left El Israel, she left, everybody saw that. And, you know, it, it caused a lot of harm to everybody else. When she came back, which was a very embarrassing part for her to come back as a destitute poor widow, when she left as a rich, you know, distinguished, you know, mother and, and wife, it was very, very shameful. So just like everybody saw her when she left, so too everybody saw her when she came back. And the same measure uh, for measure. So the um, and this is and, and this is how you see how 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 God works in a certain because you know the only reason why Elimelech and Naomi they left Israel is because a they didn't want to lose their wealth and they wanted to they wanted to preserve it and they you know they didn't want to suffer from the hunger. And what happens? You see, the only people says the says the midrashim, the only people that died during this hunger was only Naomi's husband Boa, um, Elimelech, and the two sons of Machlon and Kilion. So you know, you, this is when you have people that are collecting money, and let's say you have money, and you're giving money to somebody else, a poor person, who's supporting who? You think I have the money? I'm giving the poor guy. I'm supporting him. You don't know who's supporting who. Really, it could be the poor guy supporting you. And his merit that you're constantly giving him tzedakah is the only reason why you have a bracha with parnasa, or the only reason why you have success in life. So they were leaving El Tisad thinking that they're going to save. They're like, "Well, you think you're going to save your money? You think you can run?"
show them that not only do you lose all your money, you lost all your, you know, you, you actually actually died of hunger as well. So they um, at this point in time they come into town, they see the whole funeral dressing, and uh, um, they walk in sort of like dressed as two men. And there are women inside. And again, you know how like you think it can fool people. And there are two people standing over there and be like like, that's, you know, are those guys, what, are they men? Are they women? What, you know, it's very odd what's going on up here. And just as they see that, they see, you know, Ahut and Omi, they slip into a building. Shortly after that, they come out, two, two women all of a sudden. Like, two men come in, two women come out. They're like, something fishy. And then they start looking more, and they'll be like, wait a minute. It's like, is that Naomi? They couldn't recognize her, because they recognize her as, you know, a prestigious woman, you know, you know, like, everything with prestige. And all of a sudden, she's coming as a poor, destitute woman. They're talking back and forth to each other. Is that actually, you know, Naomi? Meanwhile, you know, you usually have, you know, who are the ones that are able to say things? Old people. Uh, you know, they, they, they don't, they don't, uh, there's no like, you know, excuse me, are you Benny? Be like, hey, you know, um, you look familiar. Are you Naomi? So they, she goes over to Naomi and Naomi says, you know, please don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi comes to the word Naim. Nice. Uh, um, and she says, I was a pleasant. Naim is uh, like pleasant. She says, I was Naomi. But now you have to call me Marah because I'm, I'm bitterness. I come from, you know, what I, what I went through is I'm no more pleasantness. I'm just uh, bitterness. But yes, I am Naomi. And so they started asking her, how is that possible? I said, you left, you know, like with prestige, with honor, with wealth. How did everything happen? You know what she replied? She replied back, is because of our sins. It's because of our sins. She was able to see the reason. She says, it's because of our sins that we went and my husband died and our two children died and everybody died because of our sins. And they... Um, and they went and they, uh, um, you know, they, this is when they entered the land. It says one of the first things that Ruth did when she entered the land was go to the convert, to convert. She, so there's Machok, she actually converted the day that she went in or she just started the process and converted three months later. But regardless, the process was already beginning the day that she, uh, that she went in, right away. Um, so the, uh, the, you know, Naomi was, was explaining to uh, Ruth who was, was her family relative, her family. So, she says, and she says, listen, you know, this, this, uh, person, uh, you know, Boaz, he's actually also known as Ivtsan. Ivtsan is like Avletzion, Avletzon, a, a father to the flock, you know, like a, sort of like a shepherd takes care of the flock. That's how he took care of the Jewish nation. He was a, he was a great leader and he was, you know, a very righteous person. You know, gave, tells, you know, she's, you, you know, you're describing like a perfect man, like this guy's, you know, is, and she says, uh, and Naomi says, yeah, he, he really is. She says, but I have to tell you something. I have to tell you something that you're going to hear. She's like, oh, there's more, there's more, is that Sadiq, a big wealthy guy, giving a lot of zakat, big tamid chacham, big judge, big everything. He's like, what more can it be? And she's like, you know, this is actually a little bit on the other side that, you know, you're probably going to hear rumors, uh, you know, going around in the streets. So I want it to come out from me. So you know that not, uh, um, you know, it doesn't come out from, uh, from them. So she says, you know what happened? So she says that, you know, Boaz had a lot of kids. And in fact, he had 30 boys and 30 girls, 60 kids he had. And six, all 60 of the kids died. Every single one of them. So she says, she says, what happened? It's like, how, six, you know, what's going on? That's obviously, you know, a sign. Like, what was going on? So Naomi explains, says, there's a, there was a person by the name of Manoach. Manoach was very close, actually, to Boaz. And Manoach didn't have any kids. And Boaz never invited him to one of the, of the, the every, he made 60 weddings. And in fact, I think the Midrashim say that each wedding was two feasts. He made two parties for it. And so 120 parties that he made, he didn't invite once Manoach, this one guy. And, Ruth replied back, she's like, what, you know, such a righteous guy, why wouldn't he invite this good friend, you know, why wouldn't he invite him back? So Naomi said, you know, the, you know, there are reasons that he, you know, that he thought that one of the reasons was that the petition brings down is that, 
the um, if, if he doesn't invite him, then Manoach is going to feel bad. And if he feels bad, he's going to start praying harder. And maybe if this is going to make him pray harder, maybe this God will grant him a, uh, you know, to, ha- to have him to have children. Because he didn't have any children now. So Boaz was trying, even though he was close to, to Manoach, but he didn't want to invite him to try to, you know, give him, put him in a little bit of a difficult situation. So because of that, he's going to start praying. And because of that, he's going to have a child. The Marsha explains it differently. Marsha explains it and it says that the reason why is that when you go to this, uh, to these parties, you give a gift. Right? Generally, I know there's like Gorski and Bukhari and not only do you have to give a gift, you have to buy your seat. You know, you have to come over here and you have to pay for your seat. So you, the, so he said, he says, listen, he's gonna come, he's gonna give me 120 gifts. I'm never gonna be able to repay him back because he doesn't have any children. Says, I don't want to have to accept the gift and not be able to pay him back, and he's going to have to give the gift. He says, rather, you know, don't feel obligated coming. I didn't want to, uh, um, I, you know, I didn't want to come. Regardless of what the good intentions that Boaz may have had, Hashem did punish him. It says, regardless, you don't, you don't insult, you don't hurt somebody else's feelings, you know, leave that for, for Hashem. And Hashem punished him, and 60 of his, uh, children went and they passed away. So, the, um, Ruth um, also goes over to Naomi and she says, listen, says, you have this uncle um, and he is, you know, so amazing. No, not an uncle. You have this, you have, yeah, well, yeah, it's a cousin, right? Like a cousin. You, this is your cousin. So he says, uh, you, you know, the, you're so close and he's wealthy. And he says, says uh, why don't we, uh, you know, because they were poor, they didn't have any food, they didn't have anything. Let's, let's uh, you know, why is it, you know, forget about why don't we come to him? Why doesn't he come to us? He says, you're, you're a relative. So Naomi explained to her, says, listen, first of all, he just lost his wife. He's in through the Shiva period. And besides that, it's harvest season. He, you know, harvest season is one of the busiest, uh, the, the busiest times in the, you know, you know, for the farmers over there. So he says, you know, ordinarily, I'm sure that he would have came over. And she replied back to them, and one of the reasons why I am not going to him, to be honest with you, is I'm embarrassed. He says, you know, he, when we went to Moab, he kept on sending us letters. Come back. He gave us Musa. He says, come back. You're not supposed to be there. We ignored it. Ten years, he sent us letters. We ignored it. All of a sudden, well, when we need him, we come back and we're going to... She says, you know, she was embarrassed to do that. She says, I, you know, it's hard for me to do that. Wood says, I completely understand. If it's okay, can we go a few more minutes? If anyone needs to leave, I like a bowl. Feel free to go. Um, the, I just want to finish a, at least a certain part of it. So... The, um, they go and um, they decide that uh, they, they figure out a place where they're going to stay. And now they have to figure out how are they going to survive. It's a, you know, they don't have any money. They're poor. What, how do they survive? So Ruth goes and says, listen, I'll go collecting charity. I'll be, and, and she's, you know, Naomi says, Chas v'shalom. says, you're a princess. You're going to go collecting for charity? He says, no, no, it's, not, uh, it's not apropos. So she says, rather, she goes and she says, this is my idea. My idea is uh, as, as follows, says Ruth. The, um, the, she goes and she says like this. She says, there is, a, the halakha in Eretz Yisrael is like this. That there is something called leket, shechicha, and peah. You learned an uh, interesting three halakha. That back then, instead of having people collect money, which is very downgrading, what they did was, is they made a certain, they made certain halakha that you didn't have to sort of, you know, insult yourself and going and asking for things, that you were able to pick certain things up in the, in the field. Now, one of them was leket. So leket literally is, is if let's say they're gathering stalk, and if, let's say, they drop, as they're gathering, so they drop the stalks, the halakha is, if it's less than three, you don't pick it up. You're not allowed to pick it up, you save it for the poor people. So the poor people, after you do your sweep, and you get everything, the owner of the land, the poor people go around, and they look for the leket. They look for the leket, they're able to take that, that's for them. That's like tzakam. And then there's shikha, excuse me, which is bundles that if you forgot, let's say you gathered a bunch of bundles, but you forgot some of them, once you forgot them, you leave them there, the poor people will go take it. And last is pa'a, 
which is a corner of the field which you don't you don't harvest at all. You leave it, and that's also for the poor people. And in fact, the Midrash the Midrash tells us like this. So so amazing is because of this, because of the merit of this mitzvah of giving for the poor people. This is the reason why Klal Yisrael will never be destroyed. So what's so special about this is that this is such a high level of tzedakah that usually you know you, the, the person doesn't get insulted. And furthermore, usually when you give charity, you feel good. You know, you go and you know you give a, you give a certain amount of money to, to the poor person. The poor person starts blessing you. You know, thank you so much. You saved me. You feel a little good. Over here, you don't know who's collecting your field. You could like him, you could not like him. It doesn't matter. The poor person takes it without feeling so bad. The rich guy doesn't get that honor in it. So it's really a high level of tzedakah. And this is one of the reasons why um, that it, it's so it's held so importantly in the in the in the, in the Jewish thought. The uh, boss to make the, how righteous he was is that he made people drop more. He told his people, he says, leave extra for the, for the poor people. If they need it, you have to remember, this is, this is the first harvest after 10 years of famine. People are starving. Can you imagine the amount of flock of poor people that are coming to the land? He says, don't worry about it. Leave a little more for, for them. So, she goes, and Naomi says, you know, we'll go to collect. Sort of like, we'll go together. So Ruth goes there, he's like, you're going to go, you're a prestigious woman from this town, you're not going over there. Naomi says, what do you th- who's going to go then? Who says, I'll go. A princess going to go collect? Absolutely not. So, Ruth says, what are you, a princess? I'm a humble convert. I'm a nobody. You know, she was very humble. She says, no, let me, let me go and, and, uh, collect. So, Naomi by Vishum often. She was not interested. She's like, you know, you're not going to collect. So, uh, you know, Ruth tells her, he says, listen, he says, I made a vow. I promise you. He says, wherever you go, I go. I'll always be by your side. I'm not going to go if you don't want me to go. But it makes sense that I should go. And she started talking her into it. And Naomi later realized, you know, it's true. You know, that's the only hope of survival is if she goes. So she goes and she says, fine, you know, I'm going to give, you know, I'll give in. And she says, go my daughter. She used the words my daughter. And one of the reasons that specifically, specifically she used my daughter is that Naomi was telling Ruth, you know, until now you come from Moab. You have the character traits of Moab, the stinginess of Moab, the, the immodesty of Moab. But now I call you my daughter because I can see all the traces, all the impurities of Moab. I left you. Now you, I could truly call you my daughter. You're really, you're really truly, uh, part of the Jewish nation. And it says that, um, the, the way that she tried to, so Ruth was going the next morning. She went out to go to the fields to, to harvest. So she had to travel to the fields. They lived in a certain area and the fields were in a certain area. So in order to travel, obviously you can't travel by yourself. So she had to go and tag along with other, you know, fellow travelers. And she goes and, um, she starts, she, she heads out and she sees this, the group that was walking out now to the, weren't so modest. She, you know how some people, when they, you know, when they start something new, they do it right. They know that she's like, listen, I'm honest, I'm not doing it. Remember, she's starving. They don't have any food. She goes back home and she waits. She waits to the next group. The next group comes, she's a little bit, uh, uh, you know, more modest. She goes and she, she, she tags along w- with them. And because of the way that she did that, the first group went into a different area. Now that she tagged tag along the second group, she actually went into, into, the, into the area where Boaz's field went. They went to two separate areas. So because of everything that you'll soon see what would happen uh, the, that will f- come into play because she went to Boaz's field, was only what? Because she didn't decide that she's going to be more modest and she didn't want to go with them. Who knows where she would have ended up. So they, um, they, she goes and she, she enters, uh, you know, the, she gets to the field and she was very, very, very particular. And in fact, they, the way that he, she collected was, besides being smart about collecting, so she went to collect the, 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 all the forgotten, the, you know, straw and everything that was on the ground that she was able to collect, is she was very meticulous. First of all, she would only go into a place where, you know, sometimes people give tzedakah, but you could tell by their face, you know, they don't want to give it. You know, they're like sweating, you know, as they're writing the check, their hand's a little shaky. You know, they give the check, you know, they look at it, it's like $18. And, you know, this guy's driving, a, you know, a, you know, a $5,000 car, you know, at least, you know, and, you know, a month. 
and, uh, you know, so, but they still, it's hard for them to give. You know, so she didn't want to take that from that kind of person. She wanted to go and give somebody who was very, so she went until she found, you know, she found the place from Boaz, where she sees, and not only that, she went and she asked them, she's like, is it okay if I, if I could do that? And they were like, looking at her and be like, uh, yeah, you don't have to ask, you know, we just go. Um, but that's how particular she was. But then she did something very interesting. Usually what you do is, you know, imagine you're going, you're picking up free, free money off the floor. What do you do? You pick up the first, the, everything that you see. And that's what I was doing. I was grabbing. She didn't do that way. She went first to the far end of the field. And then she worked her way back. And she picked up as she went along. And the Midrashim says, this is like, you know, amazing. Because she was the only one who did that. And the question is, why? It makes no sense. It, like, like, why is that? I mean, uh, just opposite. It makes perfect sense. Because she has to walk all the way back. Why go and collect this way and then bring all this heavy stuff back? She's perfectly logical what she's doing. Why is it considered like a big chidush what she did that she went backwards? And the answer is, is because... What, what was so difficult is if you something, if you, if you have to collect now a bunch of dollars on the floor, you'll be like, okay, I have to collect, it's very heavy, these dollars, imagine the dollars are heavy. If you're gonna go over there, and like, no, you, the second that you see something, you grab it. Everybody, the way they did it, they saw something on the floor, they grabbed it, they grabbed it, they grabbed it. So they didn't think about going the other way around. Who said, listen, I have complete faith in God. I'm gonna get what I'm supposed to get. Be smart, she went in the back and she started wor- working her way back. So, she went and she was, um, and she started, uh, you know, carrying from, from, from that way. Now, she, at this point, let's, you know, uh, Boaz finished the morning period. And, about 10 minutes, Boaz will be done. Uh, she's finishing the morning period, and, uh, I'm sorry, Boaz is finishing the morning, morning period, and he, for some reason, he decides, um, that he's gonna go visit, you know, the fields, which, which is, it's out of the ordinary, but he decides he's gonna go visit the field. But before he did that, he was the judge, and he had to, you know, there was some line of business that he had to do. And he, they, one of the questions that came up is a Moabite girl. Is she allowed to convert, when she converts, are you allowed to marry her? Are you not allowed to marry her? This is nothing to do with Ruth. He didn't even know that Ruth was there yet. This is before. And they made a ruling, before even he knew about Ruth, that, a, that the ruling is, which is a true ruling, it's a woman you're allowed to marry, but a man you're not allowed to marry, for the reason that we gave uh, earlier. So he goes and he decides that he is going to now go and check the harvest. And something very interesting, you learn from a you know, business owner, you know, what happens when, when a guy who runs a business walks into the business, alright guys, what's the sales, are we up, are we down, tell me what you're doing, give me numbers, give me numbers, give me numbers, you know, like, straight to talk, straight to money, Boaz, you know what, he comes in, the second he walks into the field, you know what he tells him, how he greeted them, Hashem imachem, God is with you, Imagine you walk into, you know, you know, a guy, and I'm not talking some hippie guy, you know, walks without, you know, you know, shoes into the office and be like, you know, this ponytail because he just made a trip to India. He spoke to the Dalai Lama for two days, smoked a little, you know, hashish over there and he became, you know, all of a sudden spiritual. I'm talking about somebody who completely connected to the spiritual world, completely connected. He walks in, you're, you're, you're working for us today. By the way, no, nothing better. You want to work for somebody? Work for somebody who's a righteous man. Your life couldn't be easier. He goes and, and, uh, um, obviously shouldn't take advantage, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's perks to that. He goes and he tells him, God is with you. And in fact, this is a, this is a, a formal greeting that later it took into play. If you realize, now we don't say it like that because we say it, we say it a little bit different. We say Shalom Aleichem. Hashem Imachem is like God is with you. Use God's name. We say Shalom Aleichem. Shalom is also one of God's name. We also, this is where it started from. This is where it started the, that type of greeting. And they replied to back to him, Yivarech Hashem. God will bless you. Which means that let us understand what is actually going on over here. What happened was, is he went into the field. And he, the Bach explains it like this. And he realized that there's something different about here. There's something righteous. I, I, you know, I can, I can feel it. I can feel that, that God is over here. I can feel that Hashem Imachem. I can feel that something spiritual going on over here. So, um, he tells the people, Hashem Imachem, I see that there's something spiritual going on in this thing. Tell me what's different today. And they reply back to him, Yivarech Hashem. He says, to be honest, it's because of you. 
says, you're the righteous one. And that's why, that's why God is with us uh, today. And then Boaz says, no, 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 no. There's something different about it today. And that Ruth was in, was in the field over there. So he was trying to figure out what's so special about over here. What's so different about this field than every other day that I've been here before. There's something spiritual going on over here. And then he realized he saw something that he hasn't seen before. And that's Ruth's modesty. Her modesty, he saw, was the, the way that she was so careful. If it was, you know, you, you know, there's some people that were poor people. They're like, all right, you know, once you're collecting, you know, collect a little bit over here. Maybe you're not supposed to take from that area, but don't worry about it. You know, it's collecting. It's fine. Everything's okay. Ruth, you saw how particular she was. She was made sure everything was exactly what was halakhically permitted, and that's when she picked up. Even more so was her modesty. You bend down, the girl, you know, can bend down, and so her skirt may rise and sleeves go down. She bent down and she like curtsied. So, so like, with, which is more difficult, more annoying, and more cumbersome, it, you know, definitely not more effective and efficient. And she saw, you know, she was so modest that she wouldn't try to, you know, uh, um, you know, give up anything of the modesty, even if, even if it means uh, to collecting food. So he says there's something different about that person. And even more, she, you know, some people, you know, you know, because the girls, right? So they have to have, you know, cover the elbows, cover the knees. You know, it gets a little bit hot, sometimes it slips a little bit up. You know, the people were collecting their harvest season. It was already, it was, it was, uh, it was getting close to the nice weather. You know, things were, were riding up a little bit, but her, completely covered, completely modesty. So, Boaz goes over and says, you know, who, who is this girl? Like, well, what's, what's, what's her deal? So, there was, you know, he got sort of a, um, a, a split opinion about her. But it's very interesting because you, you think about it. Somebody's uh, in the Shidduch, uh, you know, she comes in, she's a convert. She, you know, she's in marriageable age. She's, granted, she was at 40 years old at this point. So she's 40 years old. And, you know, if she wants to get married, she's gotta, you know, make a move on it. What do you have to do? You have to make yourself marketable. You know, you gotta, you know, so you would think, okay, listen, I have to make myself marketable. Okay, it's new. Alright, we gotta worry, worry about that afterwards. I gotta, you know, do. So, if you think logically, she would try to make herself more, more, you know, put herself out there to get herself a potential, uh, you know, husband. But, what Shlomo Amalek says in Kohelet, chapter 8, verse 5, he says, If somebody is doing a mitzvah, he'll never know something bad that will happen. This is so, if you came today just for this, it was worth it. When you're doing something good, no. At the end of the day, you're not going to lose out of it. And you might lose out of it temporarily. You might see that you might, but at the end of the day, you will never lose out of something, of something good that happens. Right? For example, we're going overtime today. Making me feel a little bit bad. So, by us going overtime today, no matter what's going on over there, business deal, this, something going on there, you will never lose out of it. Not that I could say, oh, because you're coming to the Shil my Shil that's why, no, nothing to do with that. Because you're learning to what, nothing bad is going to come after that. Maybe, for a small temporary, you'll see maybe a loss here or there, but in the long run, know that you'll never come back. Ruth knew this, and she says, I'm not compromising anything. Modesty is modesty no matter what. So she goes and she uh, decides she's going to stick on modesty uh, full force. Now, the, um, you know, Boaz is trying to investigate and see what's going on with this. Who is this modest girl? Who is this person I've never seen before? So they go and they start telling her, says, you know, this, this, uh, this person is, is, uh, you know, she's, she's like, you know, she's, uh, she's from Moab. It's like, from Moab? What you doing over here? And she started explaining, you know, she came with Naomi and they start explaining to her and be like, you know, you know, people talk and people know. She's like, listen, you know, we heard what she did to Naomi. The chesed, cause she really did a lot of chesed for Naomi. She refuses to let Naomi go out. She does everything for her. She's stuck by her day. No matter if they lost the money, they didn't, you know, she's stuck by her by high and low and she is you know un- unbelievable kindness that she did uh, to Naomi and they had nothing but good things to say about the, about the Ruth and you can see look at her modesty look at the way she always she, we, we've never seen this before she asks us she asks us everything if we could pick this up we could pick it up and be like yeah of course you can pick it up just go no one ever does it everyone just comes and picks it up 
So that's what he got from, from, from one people. Then he got, you know, a conflicting report from somebody else. Uh, somebody else says, oh, this girl, <laughs> immodest girl, can you believe it? Look at her coming in. Look how much she's collecting. She was a very, you know, she was a very tough worker. Showing off to everybody that she could do it. Making believe, you know, from love. Come on, you know, this love. And, um, you know, and, you know, you know so because, you know, she married a, you know, a Jew. And you know what happened to that? He died. He was just like a death trap walking around over here. And, you know, got very conflicting things. So Boaz walked over to Ruth. And, you know, he realized that this person was slandering her. You know, she was able to overhear it. So Boaz goes over to him and be like, you should, you know, don't worry about it. I don't believe what he says. You know, you should know that there's, unfortunately, there's slanderers. There are people that speak Lashonara in this nation just like there's any other nation. But he goes and he hears that she's converting and he hears all about her. And he tells her, you know, a few sentences, which I'm going to explain to you in the um, allegorical uh, terms as well. He tells her, stay in the Jewish nation. Which means this, don't return to the pagan world that you came from. You're here, you stay, stay where you are. Show that you trust in Hashem. Then he goes and he says, don't pass over this field. He was telling her, I want you to stay in this field. He says, you're, you should be comfortable over here, you could collect as much as you want over here, keep on coming back to this field particularly. And, but the allegor, the, the, the allegorical term for that is that he says, don't rega- disregard Hashem's commandments. Stay within the field of Hashem's commandments. Stay within the field of Torah. And then he goes over there and says, stick with the maidens, the women workers over here. Which means is follow the Torah, follow the Sanhedrin, follow the Tamid HaChamim for the Torah. And he says, uh, um, you know, do not think of yourself as an outsider. You're part of the Jewish nation. And Shilut replies, you know, I will, I will stay over here. And then, you know, Ruth, you know, Boaz tells her, and he says, um, she, he tells like this, he says, um, in the Megillah, it says, May your payment be full. Which is like, you know, what your reward. Boaz is hinting to your reward be full. What does that mean, may, may your reward be full? So, first of all, Ruth, and we'll soon see, she actually goes and she says, you know, why are you giving me so much attention? Like, what do I do to deserve this? And, you know, Boaz replied back to her and he says, you know, because I heard of all the chassid you did to know me, your mother-in-law. And she says, I didn't do that for reward. I did that because it was the right thing to do. And he says, that's exactly why I'm telling you that that's why you're rewarded, because that's the, the ultimate way of doing things. So, she goes and she says, um, and, and he promises, he tells her, may your word be complete. And what does that mean, may your reward be complete? So, I, this is a beautiful interpretation that I heard. You know, like, uh, there are many people that, you know why they're religious? They were born religious, and they stuck to religion, and that's why they continued in that, in that path. So, you know, when you're, um, when you're, climbing higher, you're born in the religious world and you're coming higher, so you get reward because of what you did. But let's say somebody is a convert. He comes from a completely non-Jewish background. So he's not basing off everything else from under it. He's doing everything himself, or she's doing everything herself. So she's going from zero to a hundred by herself, as opposed to somebody who went from, let's say, five percent to a hundred. So your reward, he tells, he tells Ruth, is going to be, is going to be full, because you did everything by yourself. No influence on, on your parents. No influence on previous background. You're doing it a hundred percent yourself. This, by the way, goes also for people who do about you. They're also, they're coming in from themselves, and they're coming themselves, their reward is, is, is obviously much greater. So, uh, additionally, he explained to her like this, uh, the, this, uh, I think, Rapinchas uh, Friedman, Rapinchas Horowitz, I'm sorry, explained like this, he says that, you know, everybody puts a value on mitzvot, and I'll give you an example. Let's say you have an option. You could uh, go to a business meeting, or you have uh, to, to pray with a minyan. And you're like, listen, I can't miss this out. So you skip the, the, the minyan, and you go to the business meeting. So what you're really showing God is that this Minyan is worth X amount of money of how much money I was gonna, which means is this business meeting is worth more than the minyan that I was gonna, uh, that I was gonna do. So you put sort of a value on your, on your mitzvot, which is obviously you get rewarded accordingly. So, Ruth had shown so much devotion and commitment to Torah, 
only death do us part. Like, you know, literally, in the literal sense between her and the Torah. She so such a commitment to them that says you're going to get the full reward because you're not going to compromise. You're not going to show that there's going to be a, a, a price tag to a, a mitzvah that you're doing. So, he goes and, and, uh, Boaz, um, uh, you know, tell, invites her to, uh, to come in, uh, to, to, you know, stay with him. And in fact, it's mentioned even in the Midrashim that he sort of hinted to her a possible potential marriage in the future with him. You know, possible. You know, if she's, if it's something that she's interested in. Which she was, you know, obviously, you know, very interested. And, um, and, and who tells Boaz, and he says, um, you know, you really comforted me. Which is really a feat in itself. To comfort somebody is not so easy as you think. Uh, asks anybody who has went through, been through uh, Shiva. Somebody who unfortunately lost a parent, a spouse, or, you know, anything. People come in and they say the stupidest things. And my wife told me that also. When I go to Shiva, as years ago, she already warned me. Because I'm a guy, I just speak. And I could, you know, like, my wife makes fun of me. I could speak to a tree. I, you know, I, I just find people, I, you know, it's not a problem. You know, I've said this story before. Um, I don't know if I said it over here. I was, there was some woman who was collecting money. And she needed, you know, a ride. So, you know, by all means, you know, I'll, I'll take her where you need to go. And we, we have to travel, you know, like, uh, you know, quite, maybe a 10-minute drive. I think she spoke, per- to be honest, I don't even know what language she spoke. Russian, Persian, something like that. Zero English. I spoke zero of her language. Nothing. No. We talked the entire time. The entire ride, 10 minutes we were talking. What? I'm not 100% sure. I know something about our kids. We said Baruch Hashem a lot. You know, we did a, you know, we went back and forth, but we were talking. So, people with my, you know, dangerous type of, uh, I guess you call it word vomit or, you know, this uh, no filter that goes on over there gets dangerous if you go to a Shiva house. You know, because you, you could say stupid things. You know, like, so, uh, how did he die? You know? <laughs> like, oh, the car accident. Was he wearing a seatbelt? Yeah. You know, like, you could, there's some things that you could say really dumb. And in fact, you ask people, unfortunately, that have been on the recipient end of these things, and they say, people say really dumb things. People really say dumb things. And people, that's why when you go to pay a shiva call, what you need to do is be quiet. Let the other person speak. Let the other person mourn. You know, if you little nudge it a little bit, okay, you know, very little, but let the other person do the mourning that you're not here to make yourself feel better. You're here there to make the other person feel better. So it's very, very difficult to make somebody else feel better. So granted, Boaz, when Boaz was able to make Ruth feel better, that's really an accomplishment. And Ruth says, you know, you really made me feel better. And you really made me, which is, which is a, a, you know, a big thing in itself. So, Boaz then goes, and he says, and he tells her, and he tells her, um, I want you to, two minutes we're done. Blinada. Okay. I know I've been pushing you guys for quite some time. I apologize. Um, Boaz goes and he tells her, and he tells her, listen, I want you to, um, to eat, to, to break bed with me. Says so you don't have to go sit in the field. I need that. I want you to, you know, realize, you know, your family, this, you're part of that. I want you to, to, uh, um, stick with me. So she goes and she says, fine. She agrees to that. But I'm not sitting on your table. I'm sitting on the side. In modesty. You know, she was really, you know, all, all, uh, for that. So, but the Gemara Bab Metziah explains like this. Gemara Bab Metziah 87a. Sells us like this. Sells the Chazab. You know, what is a, what is a righteous person? He speaks a little but does a lot. Example of Ramavinu. Avramavinu tells, uh, you know, the, the people in the desert, and he tells them, come, let me give you some uh, bread and water. But what did he do? He made them a feast. He slaughtered them, you know, calves, three calves, one calf. He made them a tremendous king feast. The way that the righteous people do things, say a little, do a lot. There are many people the other way around. Comes a time for donations. Everyone's raising their hand. 4,000, 5,000. These people say a lot, do a little. They give you 10%. They give you a masala, what they thought they were gonna get. You know, that, which you, you shouldn't be doing that. A righteous way to do it is say a little bit and do a lot. Boaz said, you know, come, come break bread with me. But he really, you know, he had a whole feast, uh, prepared, um, for, uh, for her. And, um, he goes, and, and Boaz goes and he gives her this, uh, you know, he sends her some, some roasted grain. And we're gonna speak about it next, uh, next time, what is, uh, in particular about this grain that he, you know, that it, it symbolizes. Um, 
and it says that he, you know, gave a small amount. And it says even that small amount satisfied Ut. And one of the, one of the things that Chazal learned out of this is that a Jew can be satisfied with a little. A non-Jew only gets satisfied with a lot. And they bring a short story that say that one time there was a guy, there was a, there was a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Dostai, that he testified about this. That he went once, went to, he was invited to a very, very wealthy, you know, for political reasons, he had to go to this wealthy non-Jew's huge party. And the guy threw, this guy was a crazy party, like literally put everything out there. And there was nothing that was missing except a piece of nuts. It's so small, like, like salt and nuts. When the, when the party guy, the guy who arranged the party realized that that's missing, he blew a fit, like, like a crazy rage fit. So the, you know, the rabbi went over to him after and says, I don't understand, you had everything in this party. He says, well, who cares about the nuts? So the, you know what the Nanju told the, the rabbi? He says, listen, he says, you get the next world. That's your world. I understand that. This is my world. I need everything to have it in my world. And that's how non-Jew world. I need everything over here. A, non- a Jew is satisfied a little bit. They don't care what, what's, what, what do you got to deal with in the world? Everything is going to be in the next world. No, uh, uh, also realize the, the little, the little thing that she had, uh, um, that, that satisfied her. We will continue. Uh, uh, next week. Any questions? I know it went a lot fast. Okay, Hazakubahu. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.